So it's, um, it's great to be back home and back with you. And I'm not just saying that because that's the sort of thing you're supposed to say when you get back. It's great to be home. In two weeks, we drove something like 3,000 miles across the Midwest. I counted yesterday, I slept in five different beds and for a half hour in the front seat of a minivan. It's good to be home. It's good to be back with you, uh, just a little bit. Um, just a little bit. It's good to be with you and gather and worship. It's great to be with you and have the opportunity this morning to come to, to the table. But before we get here, we need to come to the word. Before we taste the promises of God, we need to hear them. Throughout this summer, we've been spending our time together in the book of Colossians. Colossians is a book in the New Testament of the Bible. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a town called Colossae. This church is one that Paul himself never visited, but it's one that he heard about. And as he heard of their faith, he wrote this letter from prison to give thanks to God for them and to encourage them deeper into their faith. We've been finding, as we've been looking through this letter this summer, that Paul comes back again and again to Jesus. That Paul is calling the Colossians to remember what it is that they first believed. That Jesus is the firstborn of creation. That everything was created through him and for him. That he is the head of all things, the firstborn now two of the dead. And that he has made peace with God, reconciliation by his blood on the cross. That all the fullness of God dwells in him, and we've come to fullness in him too. And as Paul reminds the Colossians of all that they already believe, he's inviting them to take a step deeper in to the hope that comes along with it and to the conclusions that can be drawn from it for how they are to now live. If Jesus is all the fullness of God, and if we've come to fullness in him already, then we don't need to go anywhere else. We don't need to do anything else. Jesus is first. Jesus is last. And Jesus is everything in between. We're going to pick up where we left off in chapter 2 this morning at verse 16 and look together at the rest of that chapter but before we do, and here as Paul continues to draw out the conclusions of this faith in the midst of some false teaching in the church in Colossae, I want you to invite you to just take a moment to do what you need to, to set aside what else you're thinking about, to posture yourself, to focus in so that you can listen well to these words from the book we love. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you 
insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They're simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body. But they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we make our way to the table this morning, there are a couple of things that I want to make sure we notice together in this passage. And the first thing that we must see is the substance of the shadow. Do you remember being a kid and playing with your shadow? Do you remember discovering your shadow? The way that you could make it do things. The way that it stretched out before or behind you, looking like you yet slightly different. Sometimes way taller, sometimes much shorter, sometimes at an angle or crooked, sometimes right underneath your feet. Our kids have uh, occasionally noticed shadows and taken delight in them, chasing them around, trying to grasp onto them. They don't quite understand yet what a shadow is, that there's a light, that there's something blocking the light, casting a shadow which is truly just an absence of light. There's no substance or thing to it at all, But they focus in on the shadow. They delight in it, not realizing that all along it's been me behind them moving in the light. There are shadows and there are substances. This is what Paul says the false teachers in Colossians are doing. They're focusing in on the shadow when the substance of the shadow is standing right behind them. Why on earth would you continue to play around and grasp after shadows when the truth that casts them stands right there? As we look more closely at this, I want you to notice how bold and how wonderful this is. See, Paul is saying that Jesus is the one who casts this long shadow across the history of humanity. All of the Jewish law was just shadow. All of those kosher laws about what you can eat and not eat, I'm reading through the Bible and I'm I'm in Leviticus right now. The whole first part of that about all the things you can and can't eat and what happens if you eat them and how to purify yourself if you do, all of that is a shadow of Christ meant to point you on to the purity that comes in him. All those festivals Israel was commanded to worship They're shadows that point us somehow not to what God had done, but to what Christ would do. All the sacrifices offered for their sin and for the sin of the community and the land, all of it 
is a shadow pointing to Christ's sacrifice once and for all for the sin of the world. All those Sabbaths and their rest were just a shadow of Christ who is our Sabbath rest. Now, Paul doesn't throw all these things out. He doesn't say this is all useless and dumb, so get rid of it because Christ has come. He says it's a shadow. See, Paul, for all his work in opening up Christianity to Gentiles like us, for all his work in insisting that now that Christ has come, we don't need to fulfill all of the Jewish law, still he has no interest in throwing Judaism aside. For Christ doesn't get rid of the law, but fulfills it. He's the substance. He's the one standing, casting this shadow back throughout space and time. It's not that it's useless or should be given away, but now that the substance has come, why go back to playing in the shadows? All these things that were meant to mark Israel as a holy nation, set apart from the rest of the world, belonging to God, all of it's been fulfilled in Jesus. It's a shadow He is now our entry into God. As we are baptized in him, we are adopted into God's own family, and Jesus is now the only condition of that union. Do you see how bold and incredible this is? That all that has come before is a shadow, and Christ is the one who casts it. But that's not even all. You see, scholars actually argue about this book of Colossians and how much Paul here was referring back to just the Jewish law. It might not have been a Jewish influence coming into the Colossian church trying to tell them to be more Jewish. It may have actually been a Greco-Roman influence coming in. It may have been teachers calling them to practice philosophies like dualism, that splits apart the physical world from the spiritual one, telling us the physical world is simply a prison for our immortal souls to escape. This was one of the most influential philosophies of the time and continues in various ways to have influence on us. Perhaps this dualism called for a form of rigid asceticism, a denial of the body as a way to control it and escape from its influence on us. Perhaps this was about extreme fasting to punish the body. Or maybe it wasn't philosophies. Maybe it was a a more mystical religious influence, emphasizing the importance of visions and dreams, calling for the worship of angels and other celestial creatures. Perhaps they'd been instructed to humble themselves and not presume to worship the almighty spiritual God, but to worship instead the angels, God's messengers, Paul says these things all have an appearance of wisdom. To our human eyes, they appear to be wise, but that they too are just shadows, that there is no substance in them, and they cannot, in the end, deliver on what they promise. All of our best religious instincts are simply shadows, They may appear to be wise. They may seem to us to be good. But they're shadows. And it's Christ who is the substance. It is Christ alone to whom we must look to see what is real and true and good and right. 
For as Paul said earlier, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, thrones and dominions and rulers and powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And if that's true, then every other means by which we believe we can come to God, achieve self-actualization, find fulfillment and meaning and purpose in life, all of that is just a shadow. The absence of the light that Christ alone is. Christ is the substance and all of this is just shadow. I know it's a sleepy summer morning, but can I get an amen or a hallelujah or anything? Thank you. See, I believe that one of the primary purposes of the Bible and of preaching isn't to tell us how to live, to send us out to go do something. That's our obsession. It's not Scripture's main point. The purpose, the primary intention of the Bible is to show us who Jesus is that we might worship him better is to cause us to realize the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of Jesus Christ that we might bend our knees and bow our heads before him. I think that's something that comes out clearly in this passage. Christ is the substance. He who is the firstborn of all creation casts a long shadow across all of it. And we, friends, have now come to see the substance So we can leave the shadow behind and come into the light that shines in darkness whom the darkness cannot overcome. Amen? Amen. That's the first thing we need to see this morning is the substance behind the shadow. Christ, who has been given to us. The second thing I want to see as we make our way here to the table is Paul's call to cling to the head to hold fast to Christ. See, coming to deeper worship of Jesus isn't all Paul intends in this passage of Colossians. It's also clearly meant to have an implication for the lives of the Colossians, for how they actually live and follow after the substance of the shadows, Jesus. See, while these false teachers were, seem to have been calling the Colossians to a number of other things on top of Jesus, Regulations about how they can eat or drink and how much, about the worship of angels and asceticism and humility. Paul is clearly building a case for Christ and Christ alone. See, three weeks ago when I was last with you and we looked at the passage before this, we saw that we don't need anything other than Jesus. If Jesus is the fullness of God, and if we've come to fullness in him then there's now nowhere else to go and nothing else necessary. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. And Paul tells us here to then hold fast to the head. 
from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by ligaments and sinews, grows with the growth that is from God. So we don't live in the first century in Colossae. Our context is a little different. So what does it look like for us to hold fast to the head, to cling to Christ? Here's my best take. Take it or leave it. I think that we all, and I mean all, I think that we all have a desire in us for more. Some of us use religious language for that. We want um, to turn away from sin. We want to have a, a fuller experience of God. We want to see Christ in his glory. Some of us have other language. We want to be better people. We want to find fulfillment. We want purpose and meaning for our lives. We're looking for more. Yet inevitably, when we're out looking for more, we turn to the shadows and not to the substance. We turn to new philosophies or experiences or even disciplines, even new churches. We turn to new rules. We turn back on ourselves. We turn to all these shadows. And we don't just turn to Christ, who is the fullness of God and in whom we have been offered fullness too. And that looks like a lot of different things. One of the clearest things I think this passage speaks to is legalism. We come up with a system of rules, things we must do or things we can't do in order to know that we're in with God. We try to maintain control over who else is in and who else is out by a clear system of rules. Or we try to control our own relationship with God by saying that if I just do this and this and this and I don't do that, then I'm good. And legalism isn't just about conservative stuff either, like drinking, smoking, playing cards, and dating girls that do. It can be about lots of other things. Even, even justice, as important as that is to the heart of God, whenever we begin to take these things and say this is what defines in or out, these are the things God really cares about. This is how I know I'm in even as good as those things may be, that begins to be about our control and legalism. And that's a shadow. And of course, all of this is about just turning back on ourselves, which is probably our favorite shadow to turn to. When we want more, we just double down and we work harder. That may even look like a good thing. We may give more. We may pray more. We may try something new but we assume that if something needs to happen, we're the ones that need to do the doing. We want to trust in ourselves. We want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. There's nothing wrong with us that more determination and ingenuity can't fix. So maybe instead of diving into rules to follow, we dive into even something like extreme spiritual disciplines, trying harder and harder, more and more, to carve out and cultivate for ourselves some sort of mystical experience of God. But if the focus is on our work and not on Christ the substance, it's just another shadow. 
Or maybe we turn to a new philosophy that promises fulfillment for us. And maybe that's good old-fashioned American consumerism. There's nothing wrong with you. A trip to the mall can't fix. Or if you're too busy for that, a delivery from Amazon. If you find yourself yearning for more, you probably just need to buy some more things. Maybe that new tech will finally simplify your life and make everything come together. Maybe a new outfit will brighten your spirits. Maybe if you have the right stuff, you'll finally be the person you want to be. Maybe it's not consumerism. Maybe it's New Age or Eastern philosophies that promise enlightenment, union with the universe, power over things, the ability to know and to predict the future. The control it offers to us is spellbinding. And yet this too is just a shadow. And none of these things compare to Christ. On their own, all of these things are useless. As Paul said in verse 23, they have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. They cannot deliver what they promise on their own. So Paul tells us, hold fast to the head. Cling to Jesus. You have come to fullness already in him. You don't need to go anywhere else. If we've already died to sin and the flesh and the devil, if we've already been raised to new life, then we don't need to do anything else. If we've already been forgiven and reconciled to God, then we don't need to work harder for it. It's already been done. So simply repent and believe the good news. Turn around. Come to the waters of baptism. They are all you need to enter into God's fullness. It's been given. It's there waiting. You don't need to work yourself crazy looking for more and better. It's already here in abundance being given to you. Just turn to Christ. Surrender even your projects of pursuing more and better and embrace Jesus. Sink into his grace. Which isn't, by the way, an invitation to do nothing. Hold fast to the head, Paul says. John said it differently. He said, abide in the vine. Which doesn't just mean remain there, hang there, but lean in actively, determinedly, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Cling to Jesus Hold fast to the head. For as Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Hold fast to the head above all else, and come with me now to the table. For it's here where Christ offers himself to us, it's here where all the fullness of God is put on display for us to see. We see here all that God has given to us in Christ and remember the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. We remember, too, the communion that Jesus promises 
to be with us always, to unite himself to us, that we have come, as Paul says, to fullness in him who gives himself to us in the true heavenly bread that strengthens us to life eternal and in the cup of blessing, the true vine in whom we must abide to bear good fruit. And as we gather around this table, we come to hope as well that as this is just a pledge We will one day stand in God's kingdom as it has fully come. We will behold his face made like him in his glory. And people from every tribe and nation and language will gather around the throne of God, will come to his banquet table, and will join us in worship. We catch a glimpse of all of that as we come to this table. And so as we ready our hearts to receive Christ, I invite you to lift yours up with me in prayer.